going on, everybody? It's Caleb Meyer here with Everything Ohio Sports. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Lucas Narker. Hello, hello. And we want to thank you guys uh, for tuning in right now. Um, we're excited to get into some NFL talk today and really just talk about the Ohio sports teams in general. Um, so first, we're going to be looking at the NFL. Um, today's cast is really just going to be looking at the Cincinnati Bengals and the Cleveland Browns. Um, and to start off, we're going to be looking at um, their seasons from 2019, uh, what we think went wrong, um, and what they can improve on. Um, so, Lucas, if you wanted to get into the Cincinnati Bengals first, uh, we'd love to listen. You know, coming into the season, I was an optimistic guy. Um, the Seattle Seahawks game week one was a very inspiring effort on both the offense and defensive side of the ball, only losing to the Seahawks by one at home. That says a lot, considering they were a seven-point underdog coming into the game. And, you know, Seahawks, the nest is no is not a fun place to play. But after week one, man, it, it got bad real fast. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, man, this, this is a great year to tank. And from there on out, man, I think Zach Taylor did a fantastic job of accomplishing that, highlighted by weeks 10, 11, and 12, where he decided to start Ryan Finley. What a move. That might have been the highlight of the season and the best best thing that Zach Taylor could have ever done. But, you know, as a team, I, I, I think we have a good a good core of players, but we just need we need a lot more talent around us. And I think we're going to address that big time in the draft, of course, highlighting that with Joe Burrow. But what do you, what do you think about that, Caleb? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the Bengals in general, like you said, they had a lot of close games this year. Uh, I know the Cardinals was very close, and they're an up-and-coming team. Like you said, the Seahawks, um, the Dolphins, obviously, I mean, that game really was enjoyable, but when you look back on it, uh, just a very – I mean, they still were playing hard. I mean, like you said, they have pieces. Uh, I mean, Joe Mixon is a scary man. I mean, he has a lot of potential. Uh, so, I think when you look at that, if you put in Joe Burrow or another quarterback into that system, I think it, they could definitely, you know, be somebody on the lookout. I mean, obviously, the AFC North is very tough. You have Lamar. Um, the Steelers are just always going to be good. And then hopefully, eventually, one day, the Browns can get it together. So, I think it's a very, you know, tough division. But like you said, the Bengals, I mean, they're up and coming. They're young, and they definitely have potential as a team in whole. For sure. And you, you look at the Bengals' 2-14 and 14 record. That doesn't tell the whole story. A lot of these games were very close, coming down to the wire, you know, one score here, a fumble recovery there. You know, it's it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. And, I mean, we didn't have our starting our first-round tackle, Jonah Williams, last year, or our star receiver, A.J. Green. If we had those two into the mix, I mean, who knows? Those are those are two franchise cornerstones. So, yeah, that's another thing. But, if you look at, I mean, who Andy Dalton was throwing to last year, I mean, obviously you have Tyler Boyd, I mean, Tyler Eifert, people, John Ross, when he's healthy, things like that. But like you said, I mean, A.J. Green, you guys wanted to build around him, you know. So to have him always be injury prone, it definitely definitely hurts the team as a whole. And it's a big hit. Yeah, we ran out Stanley Morgan week one against the Seattle Seahawks. With all due respect, I love – or no, it wasn't Stanley Morgan. It was Damian Willis. Damian Willis is a great athlete, but he's just – it is what it is. He's just not the same caliber talent that A.J. Green is. And if if we could have had A.J. Green week one and we win that game, 
Who knows what happens the rest of the year? Who knows? Could have sparked something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think think when you look at, you know, as a team perspective, if you're losing your first four games, I mean, what's that say as a team, you know? Losing these close games, I mean, you just want to give up at that point. So I think if you win a couple games here and there, it definitely, you know, can trigger a spark in a team like you said. It sucks. It says a lot about Zach Kaler uh, keeping the locker room engaged and keeping all the players in it until – through through week 17, you know, these players sure. wanted it. And you know what? You saw what happened. You're a Browns fan. You saw what happened week 17. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying the game – exactly. I'm not saying the game meant anything, but it just says a lot about the the team as a whole coming out and fighting to the last game. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was at the last game uh, in Cincinnati versus the Browns, and you could just tell. I mean, you could just see Paul Brown Stadium. I mean, I'm just this Browns fan sitting on the sideline watching and. I'm sitting with one of my friends who's also a Browns fan, and we're just like, like this is crazy. Like it's like this is week one. Like they still have a play, a shot at the playoffs. I mean, they're playing their hearts out. Joe Mixon's just running over dudes. Um, I mean, it shows that, like you said, Zach Taylor can really rally around a team. And I saw a lot of videos regarding uh, the locker room after that, and they're pumped up, screaming "Who day? Who who gonna beat them Bengals?" You know, stuff like that. And their season's over. It just shows, you know, versus the Cleveland Browns who end up six and ten after that game. And they're they're head, ready to head home and fire their head coach. So, like you said, it shows a lot about just the organizations in general and, you know, how to keep a team in place. So They are definitely coming in hot to the 2020 season, and I'm excited to see what they can do. I am very excited. Yeah, well, I bet you are. All right, so now let's uh, transition into the Cleveland Browns. Um, and I have a lot to say about the Cleveland Browns. Um, as Lucas stated before, I'm an avid Cleveland Browns fan. Um, Always have been and always will, no matter what. 0-16, one and fifteen, or six and ten when you're supposed to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so looking at that, if we look in at 2019, um, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I guess I could start last spring. Um, we can start when we acquired Odell. So when the Cleveland Browns acquired Odell, everybody in the media, you know, ate that up. We already had Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, Nick Chubb, and Baker Mayfield coming off very, you know, great years as rookies. Um, so when they came in, you know good things were to to be expected. And I think um, what really hurt them was the way they portrayed themselves uh, last spring and last off season. I think they were full of themselves in general, Um, you know, whether it's an Instagram post or two a day regarding, Oh, the big three, the big four, you know, this is the year. Um, A lot of people said it, t-shirts were made, you know, super, you know, Super Bowl chance for the off season, you know, stuff like that. Um, So that's where I think, you know, just, before the season even started, the Browns were already, you know, thinking they had won something. In reality, they're coming off a below 500 season the year before, and an 0-16 season the year before, and then a 1-15 season the year before. So, I mean, when you look at that, you have around 10 wins total the past three seasons. I don't care who you acquire, something's not right in the organization. So, we get to week one, and the Tennessee Titans at at Cleveland just demolish the Browns put up 40 points it's not even a game and you know as a Browns fan and looking you know around seeing everything you think okay we maybe that's a wake-up call we'll get things figured out stuff like that Um, but it just did not happen you look throughout the season we we had so many leads and I'll even say against the Seahawks Seattle Seahawks um, similar to the Bengals it was a very close game but we were actually up 14 points uh, going into halftime of that game and we completely blow the lead and that's another game at home 
and, you know, just a very bad start to the season. But given they had a very tough schedule at the beginning of the season as well, um, games such as the Seahawks, 49ers, Ravens, stuff like that, that can wear down on a team for sure. Um, so optimistically, you're looking at, okay, well, look at the rest of the season. We get to the second half of the season, um, and we have a big win against the Bills, um, obviously a playoff team. Um, and we're going into the Pittsburgh Steelers. At Cleveland, prime time, I don't really know if I have to say much more. Uh, this was supposed to be the turning point. You know, Cleveland at night, it just has a different feel. It's very exciting. Um, you know, prime time game, Monday night football, Thursday night football, excuse me, and we get on and we're just, we're, we're taking it to them. You know, we're dominating a division rival that we've always struggled with. Everything is going right until nine seconds left in the game. Our best defensive player, I mean, Miles Garrett, I mean, for some unknown reason, just comes up and demolishes Mason Rudolph. And you can't do that. And that, I think, was when I knew that this is just, it's not, like, this is not the season. It's not going to happen. Our best defensive player, you know, in the running for defensive player of the year, just, you know, pro bowler, Miles Garrett, number one overall pick. I mean, he has a line of history where he's successful, and he just comes in and blatantly does that. People are sending him death threats, just saying, get out of the league, stuff like that. And that's what I knew. I mean, we won the game, but it felt like we lost by 30. And, I mean, that's just the story of the Browns, I feel like. Whenever they get one step ahead, they're always five below. So um, that's just really the turning point of the season. But I also think uh, we have to discuss Freddie Kitchens. Uh, Just when you look at the perspective of why they brought him in, it actually makes a lot of sense. You know, he was very successful um, once he got the role of offensive coordinator and calling the plays. Um, in 27 or 2018 with Baker Mayfield's rookie year, um, he was doing good. You know, Baker was loose. He was having fun. You know, he was doing good. And, but when you, when he, as soon as he got that head coaching role, he obviously um, was not prepared for that. And I think that hurt him a lot. Yeah. Do you have anything to add about week one and, you know, the debacle that the Browns had against the Titans? You know, to me, I think, I think week one is just an epitome of the whole the Brown season as a whole. Um, you've got three, let's, let's call it what it is, three big personalities on the Browns with Jarvis Landry, Odo Beckham Jr., and Baker Mayfield. And they're coming into the season thinking they're just going to run over people without even having to come to work. But the, the Tennessee Titans, they were, they were hungry and they were ready to play. And I think, I don't, I don't remember what, uh, I think it was Delaney Walker. He he said he had some memorable quote about how the Browns think they're just gonna walk. The Browns think they're just gonna walk all over us because they had the greatest off season of all time. But of course, as we know, that that just did not happen. So I think that game says a lot about the Browns team as a whole. And Freddie Kitchens did not weather the storm like he should have in training camp and off season workouts. He needed to get that team under wrap, and he just wasn't prepared for it. So, Yeah, I think, like you said, uh, Freddie Kitchen's lack of um, lack of ability to get the guys together, I think, you know, the offseason. I think um, Odell and Baker just never were on the same page. They just never got the opportunity to be. Um, and that might be a part of them, you know, on them. But also, I mean, if you're a head coach, you need to get them interacting together as well. Um, and then also looking at um, Freddie Kitchens and his decision-making, when you look at um, in 2018, Rashad Higgins was arguably Baker Mayfield's number one receiver. Um, he had 
one touchdown this year, and it was actually a game-winning touchdown um, against the Buffalo Bills. And he barely even played. He barely saw the field, and nobody knew why. They didn't know if Freddie Kitchens and him got in an argument and they just weren't on the same page, um, or if he just – Freddie Kitchens just did not think he was, you know, had the talent to play. But as we saw in 2018, he, you know, he got the nickname Hollywood in 2018 for the Browns just because of how he had the ability – him and Baker just had this connection. Uh, and also David Njoku. Now, Njoku was injury-prone this season. Um, he had a problem with his wrist. But he, even when he was healthy, he still just would not have the, would not get into the game. And I think those are two players that had big impacts in 2018. So it definitely uh, hurt the Browns in 2019, you know, as far as team chemistry. I mean, Baker, two of his big targets were just unavailable for unknown reasons throughout the season. So. And back to – Back to Freddie Kitchens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, a series that really sticks out to me is, I think it was week four when they played the the L.A. Rams at home on Sunday Night Football. Um, the series that sticks out is fourth and goal at the one. Or no, it was, they had first and goal at the one. And just four just horrendous play calls in a row. And me and my buddy, me and my buddies were watching at home, and we were just laughing our butts off at how, incompetent Freddie Kitchens looked and calling the worst plays on third and fourth and goal when they needed to score most. And I think that was at a point in the game where, you know, this game's tight. We're playing the the uh, defending champs or the, the runners-up of last year. This is a big game, and Freddie Kitchens just did not deliver. I think that that says a lot about who he was, and he was just way over his head from the beginning. No, yeah, for sure. And I can name a lot of other times when I would just see play calls that I just don't understand. I think, like you said before, um, there were actually, I believe it was eight straight plays or seven, six, seven or eight straight plays against the Buffalo Bills where the Browns were on the one-yard line. And they ran those amount of plays, and there were penalties in between that the Bills had caused that made the Browns have extra down, stuff like that. And they couldn't get into the end zone. They had they ended up kicking a field goal. They were on the one yard line for six or seven plays, and they could not. Freddie Kitchens could not drop a play to get to the one yard line or to get to the end zone from the one yard line. And then I was actually at the game in Cleveland when they were playing the Ravens. And this is another thing where I'm talking about where it just completely turned the game upside down. The Browns and the Ravens were actually tied uh, with about a minute left going into the going into halftime and. Uh, Baker Mayfield had the ball in about the 25-yard line, and it was about a third and one. And we were playing, you know, we're, I was hoping we would play conservative and just really try to play, you know, to get the half tie. And the Ravens got the ball at halftime. Well, Freddie Kitchens draws up a play, and the play is a halfback pitch to Kareem Hunt, where he's then supposed to throw the ball to Jarvis Landry down the field. It bounces off a lineman's head. that It doesn't even reach the opportunity for Jarvis Landry to catch it. So after that, right away, and given that the Browns had thrown two straight plays before that, so no time had gone off the clock, Lamar Jackson gets the ball again with 50 seconds left before halftime and throws a deep shot to Mark Andrews, touchdown. 14-7 going into the halftime, Ravens have the ball. Then coming out of half, Lamar Jackson again scrambles, finds his way to the end zone, 21-7. And at that point, I mean, I was just like, I don't know what else to say. This is just like that one play call, instead of running up, you know, a halfback dive to Nick Chubb to get that one yard, go to half. We're now down 21-7, to basically because of that call. So, Yeah, it's really hard sitting there taking it all in as as a fan. It's, it's really frustrating. You just look back and 
say say to yourself, what if? What if we had a good coach? What would have happened, you know, what could have been the 2019 Cleveland Browns? But this year, hope, hopefully Kevin Stefanski learns from the ineptitude that Freddie Kitchens created and can turn these big personalities into big playmakers and translate it to big wins in 2020. Yeah, for sure. Um, and now that you had talked about Kevin Stefanski, I guess we can go into our next topic, um, which is the off season and what has happened so far in the off season. All right. So yeah, now we're going to be looking at the off season and what has happened um, so far in the off season and what to, you know, some of our predictions that might happen in the off season. And then we're going to tie in, finish up with the NFL draft. So uh, Lucas, Lucas, if you wanted to start and dig deeper into what the Cincinnati Bengals off season has been looking like, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You know, coming into this off season, it's, us Bengals fans, we were just craving something to look forward to. Just please give us some kind of hope. And it's been well documented that the Bengals are cheap and Mike Brown doesn't like to go out and spend on big free agents. And we never even want to win. We just want to be mediocre. But you know what? The Bengals freaking proved people wrong this summer when they signed five high-quality caliber defensive starters and and one off one mediocre offensive lineman. Let's say what it is, but as as a Bengals fan, man, I could not be more happy as of what we did this off season. Starting off with the big home run signing of DJ Reader from the Houston Texans. He's a defensive interior lineman, nose tackle, and we made him the highest paid defensive lineman in the league at four years, fifty three million dollars. This dude can clog the middle. If you want to stop the run, man, he – our stat man, Sam, actually gave us a good stat on our pass run. And we were actually bottom three in the league when it comes to yards per rush as we gave up five yards per attempt. That is just that is just mediocre. And DJ Reader, he's going to clog that middle for us, and it's really something to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I, I mean, I have been impressed as – you know, to see how active the Bengals have been this offseason, um, whether it be, you know, little contracts or, you know, like you said, home runs such as DJ Reader. Um, that's all important, you know, to balance a team. Um, you know, signing big stars like Odell or Jarvis Landry, you know, that's great and all, but, I mean, people like that, you know, that go unnoticed or, you know, those are the most important people, I think, when you're trying to develop a successful team. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and beyond DJ Rear, it was clear that man, our linebackers needed some freaking help. And after Reader, I believe we signed two cornerbacks from the Minnesota Vikings uh, cornerback room: Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. Trey Waynes, it was clear, it was clear from the get-go that he was going to be a replacement for probably Drake Kirkpatrick, who his time in Cincinnati is was just about done. Man, he. Yeah. He gets a lot of hate in Cincinnati, but he he did a very good job walking up the outside for what was it? I think he was drafted in 2011. He he did he did a good job for for his time here, but it it was it was it was overdue for him leaving. For sure, yeah, I think I think it was definitely time for a change in that position. Like you said, I mean, he's just been you know around around the world as far as 
you know, things going right and things going very bad. So definitely a new start to that position will be good for the Bengals. And then after that, Mackenzie Alexander, a very good inside corner who's going to take the spot of Dark West Denard. It's uh, presumably Dark West Denard. He's, he's a big loss, but him and the Bengals just didn't see eye to eye. He wants to play the outside, but the Bengals want to keep him inside, which is, in my opinion, where he's best because he's such a gifted tackler. And Mackenzie Alexander is going to fill that role and then some, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. Uh, I guess we can – do you have anything else to add as far as um, the Bengals offseason? I guess any predictions or any signings you'd like to see the Bengals to make? You know, I I don't know if they can do anything else just because of salary cap limitations. Okay. Yeah. Once they cut once they cut Andy Dalton seventeen million, that'll that'll definitely free up some room, but then they're gonna have to sign Burroughs rookie deal, which isn't gonna be cheap. But yeah, after I guess that's what all said and done. Yeah. One one signing that I was really pleased about was Vaughn Bell, man. He coming out of Ohio State and off the Saints, he, he was a premier safety for a long time. And I know he doesn't play linebacker, but he is a tremendous tackler, and he's going to help our linebacking core tremendously this year. And he's going to let Sean, Sean Williams move from safety. And I, I could see Sean Williams playing a little bit of linebacker too this upcoming year, which it's good because we need to keep our playmakers on the field, and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, I think um, the Bengals definitely have the weapons on offense um, to be very successful. And, of course, you know, as many people are expecting later this week, they'll be adding a very big weapon. Uh, But, yeah, I think you going in deeper into the defense um, is very important. And it's definitely something that needs to be tackled on. And I think, I mean, this is all a part of developing, you know, a successful team. So I think it will go a long way um, as far as the Bengals and Zach Taylor's first real look at free agency for sure the defense needed to be addressed and the Bengals came through with an overhaul of that defensive room getting rid of long-time starters and replacing them with proven veterans who who could be here for a while and make some plays so uh, I'm really excited to see how they can perform and like you said on the offensive side of the ball we have the cornerstones and the talent that can build around Joe, Joe Burrow and make him make his transition in the NFL much smoother and, and uh, beneficial to him. But definitely, I'm excited. Yeah, for sure. All right. Now let's um, look in deeper into the Browns off season, kind of some of the things that they have done so far um, from a Browns perspective, obviously our off season started December 29th, uh, the day that the last game was played in Cincinnati, as soon as we got, as soon as the Browns got back to Cleveland, Freddie Kitchens was relieved of his duties. Um, so, I mean, obviously off season starts right then and you're looking for a new head coach again. Um, but also questions were, you know, John Dorsey, you know, he obviously brought in Odell. He, you know, drafted Baker, Nick Chubb, brought in Landry, brought in all the pieces that we have right now, but he just simply wasn't getting the job done. And I really think that the higher Freddie Kitchens hurt him. And I mean, just seeing how season portrayed itself, obviously eventually got him um, fired as well. But yeah, so a lot of Browns fans actually went to Josh McDaniels. Um, they thought he was proven um, offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. 
Um, they really want to, you know, they thought, oh, well, they can just transform Baker into the next Tom Brady. I personally, yeah. you know, as a Browns fan, have seen um, a lot of different reports and, you know, we always want to go with the favorite. And I was actually surprised when I saw that Kevin Stefanski was going to be our next head coach. But I was, you know, I like I liked the difference that it was, you know, that was different, um, uncalled for, but I think that it, you know, hopefully will work out. What do you think about, you know, kind of the Browns head coaching search and, you know, ending up with Stefanski, I guess. For sure. One thing that has always bugged me is the Josh McDaniels head coaching thing. I mean, he is a great offensive coordinator. There's no doubt about it. But I feel like we've been this, we've been down this road every year for the last five years with him. Oh, he's going to leave New England. He's going to coach the Broncos. He's going to coach the Colts this year. And he just, he never pulls the trigger. And I'm just confused as to what his deal is. But once that rumor ever started, I knew that him, the Browns, would not be a good fit. Um, the Browns just, that's a tough place. It is, we'll say it like it is, that's a tough place to come in to coach with that history of, of losing. And, man, I I love the Bengals, and it sucks to see the Browns. From, from a Bengals fan's perspective, it actually is good seeing the Browns struggle. But, man, that's a really tough place to come in to coach. And I don't know if Josh McDaniels was ever up for it. Yeah, I mean, it was just report after report. You know, Josh McDaniels has ties with uh, Cleveland. He actually played college football right next to, you know, right by Cleveland at John Carroll University. Um, you know, things like that. I mean, I saw reports, oh, John, John, uh, Josh McDaniels' family is, you know, in Cleveland for two days talking to all these refs and everything. So I, as a Browns fan, I really thought that that was going to be the case. Um, Matt, once again, ties in. Um, to seeing us sign Kevin Stefanski. Uh, when you look at it from a perspective, I mean, you have to think, you have to think of who Kevin Stefanski had um, these past years. If you look at it uh, from just an analytics perspective, you look at, okay, he had Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield have a lot of things similar. Then you look at Dalvin Cook. I mean, obviously an amazing running back. Okay, Nick Chubb as well as Kareem Hunt on top of that. And then you see Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, you think, okay, Jarvis Landry and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. And so what do you think, I guess, about that? If I if I tell you, you know, that perspective, how does that make you feel about Stefanski, I guess? And what's your opinion, you know, offensive corner of the Vikings, you know, pretty successful. Um, so, yeah, what do you think about that offense and his scheme, I guess? I kind of see a lot of similarities between the Minnesota Vikings offense and the Cleveland Browns offense. Now it's hard to compare the, the personalities of Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield where Baker Mayfield is much more lively and Kirk Cousins, I would like to say mellow, but when you look at the receivers, man, Stephon Diggs and Odell Beckham Jr. They are, I I would say almost replicas. Love to talk. Great route runners, super fast. And Jarvis Landry the same way, man. I think I think it can be a good fit for Stefanski, and I could see that offense coming into shape real quickly. Yeah, and then if you look at um, some another big offseason move um, that started before really the offseason really you know got the free agency and everything was the Browns um, fired John Dorsey like I said, and then they went out and got Andrew Barry who was in the operations for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Harvard University graduate. Um, he's the youngest general manager in the league now. Um, 
so, I mean, we have two brand new guys coming in, uh, both fairly young in their respective matters. And, you know, Andrew Barry, 32 years old, you know, some of these players on this roster are just three, four years older than him. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, ties in. I mean, what do you think about, you know, bringing in the youngest general manager into a team like the Browns where, you know, it's just known for dysfunction? It's like, it's like deja vu again for your, for you Browns fans, man, you guys go through these head coaches and, GMs like like hot knife through butter, but you know it'll be interesting. It's it's a tough challenge for for anyone, let alone the youngest GM in history, like you're saying. But man, if anyone were to do it, I guess it'd be him, right? Someone's got to succeed eventually. Someone's yeah. got to do it. That's maybe maybe he's the one. Yeah. Yeah, and then looking back at Stefanski, um, talking about you know his past, you know offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, the Browns tying into free agency. Um, they signed. They went outside to Case Keenum. Um, I think it's a very good signing. Um, Case Keenum was a former quarterback under Stefanski. Um, last time he was on the Vikings, he went 11 and three um, with Stefanski as his QB's coach in 2017 in Minnesota. So I mean, it's been very evident. Um, he's had a lot of interviews with Browns people. Um, he knows his role, and he's excited, you know, to help Baker out as far as you know Stefanski's ideas and everything. Um, so I think. I mean, what do you think about Case Keenum coming into Cleveland, you know, knowing his role, uh, not looking – I mean, obviously looking for a starting position eventually if necessary, but, you know, just as – like he's going to accept the role as a backup and really look forward to helping Baker. What do you think – like how do you think that might, you know, help Baker coming off a very, you know, average sophomore year? For sure. When I saw that signing, I'm not going to lie, I turned to my buddy and said, look at the Browns, man. They're at it again, just absolutely throwing $18 million down the drain. But when I when I got to think about it, I I don't hate it. You know, he he's an he's a grizzly veteran. Maybe he can light a fire under Baker Mayfield to get him on track again. Because we Lord knows he needs it, man. He's got the talent, but he just he just needs to set it. He just needs someone to push him in the right direction. I guess is the right way to sure. say it. But yeah, it, the Stefanski, the Minnesota Vikings connection. It, it, if something were to happen to Baker Mayfield, maybe Case Keenum could come in and make something happen. I I think it'd be a great story, and definitely some. I think it's worth the money. And looking back on that signing, man, I I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I hate to say it, but yeah. I could see that turning into something good. For sure, and I think you know talking about how you said you know it might light a fire under Baker Mayfield. If you think about it, I mean. If you look at it, I mean, Case Keenum, he has a relationship with Kevin Stefanski already built. He built that already. He he was a starting quarterback for Kevin Stefanski. He can produce when, you know, if necessary sometimes. If you're Baker Mayfield right now, you're thinking, okay, yeah, Case Keenum, okay, yeah, he knows his role. But, like, if I don't produce, like, there's a good chance. Like, if I'm just very average or just, you know, throwing interception after interception, there's a chance Case Keenum could walk in and, you know, halftime of a game and, and you know, take my position. So I definitely think it's going to make Baker work, make Baker Mayfield work that much harder um, this off season and hopefully next season in general. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, one thing that I would be wary to do though is to throw fragile Case Keenan behind that battered up offensive line of the Browns because Lord knows that they can't block. They couldn't even yeah. block me if they tried hardly. But yeah, looking at yeah, Kate, looking, yeah go ahead. I mean, like you said, the offensive line, if you look at um, last season, 
the Baker had there were 74 deep balls last season where um, Baker had to throw you know just deep balls and most of them were just chucked up and hope for the best and that was the seventh most in the league um, and it you know the question has to be arose like is Baker just looking for the deep ball you know too much I mean offensive line obviously wasn't producing uh, Baker Mayfield just did not have enough time last year um, he had a 77.6 percent percent of the time um, protection rate um, that was the third worst in the NFL um, so yeah I mean as we look forward uh, look down the path of the NFL draft which we're beginning to into here shortly um, that's definitely going to be something that we're going to have to you know talk about is just the Browns offensive line and just you know what is going on with that position for sure for sure I'd compare offensive line to uh, pitchers in baseball you, you just can't ever have enough of them um, some some of them you're gonna miss on. Some of them you think you're gonna be they're gonna be a stud, but they just don't pan out. Trust me, as a Bengals fan, I have seen that consistently. It happens all the time. Bengals draft a an offensive lineman in the in the top of the first round, and it just doesn't pan out. But yeah, like I said, um, it's never it's never a bad idea to attack that position and have too many of them. That's never a problem. But the Browns definitely. definitely need some help in that, and they're gonna have they have a premium pick, tenth uh, pick in the draft, and I'd love to see them address that as as everyone thinks they will. Yeah, for sure. All right, so one more thing I'd like to get into, um, one more free agent signing I want to get into before we head into our NFL draft talk um, is the newly highest paid tight end in the league, um, Austin Hooper. Um, Austin Hooper, you know, 25 years old, coming from the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, proven winner, you know, rookie season, he actually played in the Super Bowl. Um, but let's talk about last season, his production. Um, 75 yard, seventy-five receptions, 787 yards, and six touchdowns. Those are all career highs, and he actually missed three games due to an MCL sprain. Now, the crazy stat um, is the Browns tight ends combined last year only registered for 41 receptions and 497 yards. So alone, Hooper just, I mean, he blew out the Browns' tight end core last year um, but I guess talking about that scheme that I you know provided you with Kevin Stefanski a lot of people are seeing Austin Hooper um, like the Vikings Kyle Rudolph so once again it just it almost seems too perfect of a scenario like Kevin Stefanski's and Andrew Barry they've been thinking it out like they know um, you know they know what they want and they're going out and getting it so I mean what do you think about Austin Hooper you know becoming the highest paid tight end and essentially you know being another gigantic piece that the Browns can use yeah for sure I mean aside from Travis Kelsey and George Kittle I would say that Austin Hooper was the third best tight end of last year which is that's high praise coming from coming from the Atlanta Falcons and I think he can he can continue that pace in Cleveland as long as he he gets the ball. There's a lot of receivers in Cleveland now. Now that you think about it, you got OBJ, Landry, uh, Hooper now, and Njoku. I, hopefully Baker Mayfield can spread the wealth a little bit this year. Otherwise, uh, one of those stars is going to be out for a, out for some disappointment. But I think, yeah, like you said, the Minnesota effect, I can, I can definitely see that comparison with Kyle Rudolph and Austin Hooper. Two big bodies who can catch, who can block, man. I think Kevin Stefanski will have him going in the right direction. Definitely, yeah. I think um, overall, I mean, I think um, as far as Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns, they've had two um, top-tier free agencies um, 
between the two of them um, in the respective matters. So I definitely think, you know, for where they both these teams were the past season, you know, we should be expecting um, a very good product in the near future. Um, now, uh, now we will be getting into the NFL draft. Um, as far as free agency goes, you know, obviously the NFL draft plays a huge role. Um, Bengals with the number one overall pick, of course, and then the Browns number 10 pick. All right, so now we're going to be digging deeper into the NFL draft, which, um, if you do not know, is this upcoming Thursday. I'm going to be very interesting as far as, you know, obviously um, due to COVID-19, it'll be virtually. Uh, um, Roger Goodell said he's actually going to be announcing the picks in his basement. Um, so it definitely would be, you know, a sight to see, and I can only imagine um, the amount of views that it will attract. Um, what do you think about the whole virtual NFL draft and, you know, how do you think, well, you know, benefit, you know, do you think something can go wrong with it? Um, I mean, everything is going to be virtual. How do you think it's just going to end up in general? There's, there's a lot of concerns about um, hacking and, you know, another team getting in on some, some, some kind of technological advantage on another, but I, I think it'll run smoothly just like any other draft and, Aside from the fact that no one's going to be together and everyone's going to be in their respective houses, I think we're going to look back in this draft and say, wow, that that was a great job by the NFL putting this together. And barring any teams, you know, you know, missing a pick, the line dropping out, um, I think it's going to run just as any other NFL draft could possibly run. But I think it's definitely something to some something to look forward to. It's going to be a different atmosphere. It's going to be, you know, a lot of intrigue on the side of the fan fan as to having something to do because in the world of sports, man, this is the only thing to look forward to for a long while. I like I I can't I can't see another sporting event being played at least until June. So yeah, from a fan perspective, I am just out of my mind hyped. But yeah, I mean. Like you said, I mean, if you look back, we haven't had a sporting event in, you know, over a month now. I mean, so, I mean, we got, you know, left on red with the NCAA tournament. We, you know, we were reports, oh, you know, we'll just play without fans, stuff like that. And fans were disappointed. I mean, that's huge. Whether it be your betting or you just your favorite team, you know, Cinderella you're looking forward to, stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely, I think the NFL has had enough time to prepare um, and they know how important this is going to be for the sports world. So I'm definitely hoping, you know, they don't mess it up. I think they have it all on the plate, you know, to be successful for an NFL draft perspective. Um, so, yeah, I guess Bengals have the number one overall pick. They can pick anybody that is in the draft portal who they want. There is an obvious number one pick that I'm sure you are high on. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your expectations for the Bengals with the number one pick and, you know, I guess just, you know, as a Bengals, you know, perspective, what are you looking for? I am I'm in love with Joe Burrow. I think he he's getting a ton of hype and deservedly so, man. Uh, all the experts are saying that his arm strength is a big weakness. Well, you know what? Everything else that he does is darn near flawless. His, his poise in the pocket, his, his pre-snap awareness. His ability, his leadership skills, for one. I feel like Andy Dalton was a great dude, but, man, watching some of the videos of him trying to hype up the team, that just, 
it's just tough to watch. Yeah. But Joe Burrow, I think he, he can rally some guys together and really put together some some great seasons in a Bengals uniform. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you said, I think for me, uh, you know, obviously not being a Bengals fan, um, and just an outsider really looking in, um, I wouldn't bet against the guy. I think, you know, just like you said, his poise. I mean, I rarely see the guy smile. Like, I, I mean, I'll see him smile occasionally in an Instagram picture, stuff like that. But when it's business, it's business for him. And I think that goes a long way. Um, you know, as far as, you know, Baker Mayfield, he definitely has a bigger personality. Uh, but, yeah, Burrow just – he's locked in. I mean, you know, after he won that national championship, you'll just see videos of him smoking a cigar. Dude's not even making a – he just won a national championship. Like, what is going on? He's just so – like, he he's about business. And I think, you know – he, he's an amazing athlete, um, Ohio kid. You know, I, I think there's all the pieces on the table for him to, you know, to write his own story as far as the Cincinnati Bengals. He can literally create, you know, a spark in an organization that just had came off one of their worst years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting times in Cincinnati, and people are excited, and they definitely should be. I mean, they have something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of comparisons to, you know, Joe Burrow being the LeBron James for Cincinnati. Cincinnati needs Joe Burrow. Cincinnati needs someone that can lift their sports teams out of the dweller and into relevancy once again, because Lord knows it has been a very long time since us Cincinnati fans have had something to look forward to. And I think that Joe Burrow is the guy that's going to make that happen. So I cannot wait. Would be definitely an exciting time and Cincinnati, like you said, I mean, living in Cincinnati, being you know Cincinnati Reds fan, Cincinnati Bearcats fan, there's just nothing like it. Always seems like you're either so close or you're just so far away. So hopefully Burrow can, you know, rally up the troops and you know get them to where they should be and where they they could be in the coming years. For sure. And I'd love real quick. It's 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 very well documented that the national media is not a fan of Joe Burrow coming to Cincinnati. And this narrative that the Bengals just ruined quarterbacks is just making me just so angry because it's so not true and it's such a lazy take that these big hotshot talking heads just love shoving in our face. You look at Stephen A. Smith, Lewis Riddick, you know, Colin Cowherd, how Joe Burrow's just set up for failure. It just angers me. I mean, you look back in the quarterback history for the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, you had Joe, or you had Boomer Esiason in the '80s, Penny Anderson before him. I mean, these dudes, these dudes were not ruined. They had a good team around them, and they are top 50 all time in passing yards. And they each took their teams to our Super Bowl in their era. So, the, the and, and yes, this was 30 years ago, but even more recently, Carson Palmer. He had a few good years before. Look at 2005. Uh, the Steelers hurt him in arguably one of the Bengals' best teams in the last 20 years. Andy Dalton took took the Bengals to the playoffs five straight years. The Bengals do not ruin QBs. When they draft quarterbacks at the top of the draft, they work out. So this narrative that Joe Burrow is just going to come in here and just become irrelevant, just just quit it, okay? Quit it. Yeah, I mean – I think as far as the media goes, you know, like you were saying, I think they rely a lot on 
playoff wins, Super Bowls. And if they're not seeing that, they'll just – they can make a story up about how, you know, teams ruin quarterbacks. So, yeah, a lot if you of dig it, deep. Yeah, a lot of it is just bad luck, you know. I'm going to I'm gonna say it, okay. You, you look back 2005, first quarter, you know, Carson Palmer just absolutely obliterates his ACL. I can't remember his name, but, man, I looked back and thought it was a dirty play. And shortly thereafter, the NFL banned uh, lower hits to the knees on the quarterbacks. And it's definitely so. We can't have quarterbacks just losing their careers to an injury like that when they're such superstars. Yeah. And then 2015, I really don't want to talk about it, but first (laughs) off, Andy Dalton gets hurt. He doesn't even start that game when he's in the race for the MVP. A.J. McCarron plays his butt off. And then Jared, we all know what happens after that. I'm not even going to say what happens versus Steelers. We'll just let it at the Steelers. Yes, we'll just say that the Steelers won. That. We'll leave but, it yeah, at that. Yes. but, yeah, long story short, Joe Burrow, man, he he's far more talented than Andy Dalton. He's got the pieces around him to succeed. And I think that this 2020-2021, it's, it's going to say a lot watching Joe Burrow come in here and take this city to relevancy again. A number one pick can shift, you know, shift a fan base, shift a, a city. I mean, Oh, it's franchise. It's franchise yeah. changing. I mean, um, you look at, at Baker. Man, ten, oh, sorry, go yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Sitting at six and 10 and eight and eight and seven and nine every year and picking it between the eighth and 12th pick of the draft. You're just going to sit in this mediocre range to where you can never get better or never get worse. And it's frustrating. The Bengals have been there for so long. But finally, we're just going to get that that piece, that cornerstone in our locker room and in our organization. And I cannot be more excited. Yeah, I mean, you look at even Baker Mayfield, you know, obviously coming off a, you know, not a very solid year. Um, but, I mean, in 2018, people didn't know who the Browns, nothing was for sure on who they were going to take, you know. Um, sorry, twenty yeah, twenty eighteen. Um, and it was just, you know, up in the air and once we drafted Baker Mayfield, I was like, All right, I gotta you know, this is this is the guy, this is the guy I'm gonna rock with, you know. And when he came in against the New York Jets, I'll never forget it. Comes in, uh, Thursday night football, Browns haven't won a game in over three hundred and fifty days. Sorry, six hundred and fifty days actually, and um, he comes in and he, he wins the game. I mean, he's running Philly specials, catching his own, you know, it's just crazy. So, yeah, quarterbacks, I mean, they're definitely franchise players. And to get them at the number one pick, they have a lot in store. So, definitely look out for the Bengals, you know, as far as the team to just rally around Burrow for sure. Um, all right, yeah. so now we are going to be getting into the Cleveland Browns. Um, they have the 10th overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I'm just really going to give my perspective on what I think the Browns need and what they should look out for um, come Thursday night. Um, so when looking at the Browns, um, two areas that I really think need to be addressed um, are the offensive line, as I was saying earlier, um, and then the linebacker position. Now, the Cleveland Browns actually lost Joe Schobert uh, and Christian Kirksey um, this past offseason, and Joe Schobert had an amazing 2019 season he was you know arguably arguably our top linebacker um christian kirksey uh, the browns really just got rid of him because he was just becoming old and we just didn't have enough money 
um, to spend for him. So with this 10th pick, um, the person I would love to see the Browns draft, but it's definitely the most unlikely, is Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, 6'4", 238-pound beast. Um, linebacker position, he can play anywhere on the field. Um, he was awarded the Buckus Award this past season. You know, that's the award for the nation's best linebacker. First team All-ACC, um, first team All-American, and he's a proven winner. You know, national champion, played in multiple NCAA, you know, NCAA championship games. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, what do you see as Isaiah Simmons, you know, how do you, like, do you see him as being a player the Browns should look for? Like, do you think he'll be there? I mean, what is your opinion on Isaiah Simmons? Oh, Isaiah Simmons, he's he's a game changer. I I see a lot of comparisons to the German, uh, Derwin James on the Los Angeles Chargers, just a linebacker or safety that just can play anywhere and is all over the field. He's super fast, super athletic, great tackler, just a playmaker that I think the Browns defense would love to see in the locker room and on the field. But the likelihood of him slipping all the way to 10 – I just – I don't know if I see it. I think he's way too good of a player for the Giants to pass up or even if he falls to the Panthers, I don't know if they'll pass him up. So it'll be definitely be interesting to see where he gets drafted. But if he somehow slips to 10, man, if the Browns do not take him, there are going to be some problems, especially from the outside looking in. Like, what are you doing, Cleveland, if you don't take him at 10? But, definitely. I mean – like you said, um, yeah, I definitely think, you know, Giants I, – I personally, I think the Giants are going to take him. Um, also, if he slips to the Panthers, I mean, they just lost, you know, Luke Keekley. I mean, pro bowler. I mean, hello, like, that's another linebacker that can, you know, come in and produce. Um, but, yeah, I think if he's at number 10, he has to be taken. Um, but uh, in a more reality setting um, – like I said before, the Browns have to address the offensive line. And I think as far as a safer pick and a pick that we know for sure will hopefully work and, you know, we need um, is Andrew Thomas. Uh, you know, 6'5", 315 pounds, just a massive tackle. Um, he's arguably one of the best offensive linemen in the draft, if not the best. Um, he's also a true winner, you know, coming from Georgia. Um AP All-American, and, you know, he has the ability just to step in year one, start, and, you know, just have a Pro Bowl ceiling. Um, he's gotten comparisons to Joe Thomas, which, you know, as you know, amazing Cleveland Brown, always will be. Um, he has the ability, you know, just to protect. Like like I said earlier, Baker just, I mean, 77% of the time, um, Baker's getting protected. That's the third worst in the NFL, like I said earlier. And they need to address this, you know, Free agency also, and I forgot to mention, we signed Jack Conklin. He's from Tennessee. Uh, he helped the Titans have, um, you know, some of the best rushing um, yards, rushing touchdowns, and they were tied for third in the rushing average per game last year. So, I mean, we have Nick Chubb. I mean, if we get Andrew Thomas and Jack Conklin on the same page, not only are we producing for Nick Chubb to run easier, we're saving Baker's back. I mean, that's important. Um, so, yeah, I think – as far as, like I said, a reality pick and what we truly need is definitely, you know, an offensive tackle. So that's who I'm hoping, you know, if you look at mock drafts, you're going to see Andrew Thomas is he's that guy. Um, there were talks of Ezra Cleveland. Um, yes. His last name is Cleveland. 
coming to Cleveland via trade. There were a lot of talks of Cleveland trading the pick. I personally don't see it. You can't pass up on a guy like Andrew Thomas um, if he's there. There's so many good offensive linemen in this draft, and that's what we need. That's the number one area. So I definitely think we'll keep it, and hopefully if Simmons is there, we'll pick him. If not, then Andrew Thomas. Yeah, whether it's Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wolfs, um, Becton has his problems, but Andrew Thomas, yeah. like you said, um, one of those. If one of those four makes it to the Browns, I think, I think you guys are in for a treat. And looking at the teams that might draft an O lineman ahead of you, you've got the Giants for sure, who are looking at an O lineman. Um, I think the Cardinals are also looking at one, and then God knows what the Jacksonville Jaguars would do. Man, they're a mess. Yeah. But um, yeah, if one of those four slips to you, I. There's no reason in my mind, there's no doubt in my mind that the Browns pick one of those. And Andrew Thomas, like, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think he's the, the prime candidate of that bunch. But we'll see. I guess time will tell. For sure. Yeah, I guess um, kind of wrapping up here, just a few more NFL draft um, picks and talks. I guess, you know, second round and on to the seventh round, you know, it's all toss-up. Um are there any, you know, picks that you would really like to see the Bengals make in any of the rounds if, you know, if that player would come available? You know, I'll focus on second round specifically. And it's clear that our linebacking core has just been absolutely decimated last year. I know we signed Josh Bynes from the Ravens. He's a he's a grizzly veteran who will come in and make a difference. But aside from that, Jermaine Pratt has had his struggles. We lost Nick Vigil to free agency. Um, the linebacking core is hurt, but if I had the choice, I would love if the Bengals would just select an offensive tackle at 33. There are some good second-tier candidates in this draft, whether it be Josh Jones, Cesar Ruiz, or maybe Ezra Cleveland even slips to us at 33. I've, heard, I've seen sure. those rumors. Um, our stack guy, Sam Matthews, tells us that Dalton only had 2.51 seconds to throw in the pocket. Um, he, he got the ball out in 2.5 seconds on average, which is the lowest in the league. I think that says a lot um, from the Bengals' side of the ball that Zach Taylor did not trust those linemen to block for Dalton for a long period of time. And Dalton, we all know, as Bengals fans, he cannot handle the pressure, so – um, these linemen definitely did not get the job done. And coming into the year, we have two proven starters who I'd love to keep on the line, Trey Hopkins and Jonah Williams. But aside from that, man, it's it could get ugly. And if we could just lock up one more position maybe and then make our way through the season with either Bobby Hart on, at right tackle or Michael Jordan at guard, I think we'd be okay. But – who knows? I'd love to see a lineman drafted at 33. For sure, yeah. And like you said, I mean, Jonah Williams didn't even play last year. You draft another lineman this year, and then you have Joe Burrow, the best quarterback in the draft, the best prospect in the draft. I mean, what more? You have Joe Burrow walking into essentially A.J. Green, John Ross, uh, Joe Mixon, and then two offensive linemen who you've drafted in the first or second round in the past two years. So, I mean, I don't know why this narrative that Joe Burrow can't be successful at Bengals is, you know, going across different media reports because the offense is there. Like you said earlier, you're, you guys are tackling the defense. 
a team is being built and it's being built at a very high rate. So I definitely think, like you said, I mean, they have the pieces. If you go out and get another offensive lineman, I mean, that that's very good and it would be a very valuable pick. For sure. This is a year where it's going to be tough for a team to build chemistry, I would say, because we just are living in such weird times. It's going to be such a strange off season. And I think that could weigh heavily on a team such as the Bengals, where half of their defense is new and you have a rookie QB coming in. But, you know, if there's a guy that can get it done, I, I'm putting all my faith in Zach Taylor to pull this thing off. So, definitely. yeah, yeah it is, it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting. It will be a very interesting off season, And, you know, uh, to figure out how long this goes, it could be a very interesting NFL season. Um, so, yeah. As long I mean, as we have it. Yeah, as long as we have a season, man, I'm I'm okay with it. Take We don't need fans. Just throw it on TV and yeah. keep me happy. If we lose yeah, an right NFL season – Things will get ugly. Yeah, it will be a hard hit for fans, players, and everybody involved. So, yeah, I guess um, that's pretty much it as far as, you know, pre-NFL draft talk and just kind of wrapping up the first podcast in general. Um, But looking ahead, uh, obviously the NFL draft is this Thursday. Um, I highly recommend if you're not planning on tuning in to tune in. and it will be very interesting. Um, you can also expect to see a podcast shortly after, probably the morning after the first round of the NFL draft, just to kind of, you know, look back at this podcast and see, um, you know, what our, you know, who, what our team, who our team picked, um, if we were happy with it or if not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, and you guys can also follow us on our Instagram page, which is Everything Ohio Sports and our Twitter, which is E-O-H Sports. Um, That is pretty much it as far as all I have to say. Um, I really appreciate it if you're tuning in, uh, if you've listened this long, um, and be on the lookout for our upcoming post-NFL draft podcast. Lucas, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I'd also uh, be on the lookout for our mock drafts. I think each of us are going to do a mock draft and compare – compare shortly after the first round as to where we went wrong and where we hit the nail on the head. That'll be interesting. For sure. All right. Well, that is all that we have. Uh, We look forward to talking to you guys in the near future. Thank you, guys.